Rock and roll. It's your daily dose of all things Gamecocks on the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. Here's J.C. Sherbert. It's the Inside the Gamecocks podcast, Wednesday, April 28th, 2021. This is J.C. Sherbert. Good to be with you today. Uh, good to be talking Gamecock sports. Got a lot of mailbag questions. Appreciate you guys sending those in, obviously stemming from the spring game. So we're going to do a little different. Instead of me blabbering on and on and on about my thoughts on the spring game, uh, I'm going to give you like the short and sweet of it and then dig into your questions and you know, sort of allow you to pick my brain on it. Uh, again, to get into the mailbag, you email inside the Gamecocks at gmail.com or tweet to at the Big Spur Pod. Please follow at the Big Spur Pod on Twitter and at Inside the Gamecocks on Instagram. Uh, our podcast is on there. And uh, again, appreciate all you guys joining. Um, just short and sweet of it. Uh, the, the spring game this year, I thought it went kind of smooth in a way. Um, uh, I thought obviously there were some players that, that stood out uh, to me, EJ Jenkins, Jaheim Bell in the passing game, catching the ball. Obviously, Zaquandre White had a really big game. Uh, Love the way the offensive line played um, on defense. Obviously, J.J. and Igbare uh, had some really good pass rushes <laughs> where he made some of the offensive linemen look silly, and that's a good offensive line, so that's a good thing. thought Zach Pickens had some good moments on the interior. Uh, linebackers were probably not ideal. Uh, in, in my opinion, um, but there were a lot of guys out. You know, they went with Brad Johnson and Damani Staley, and I don't know if uh, both of those guys will be the starters come the fall. Uh, I thought the secondary, some guys, you know, surprised me. Marcellus Dial, uh, I expected if he played like he did when he was at Woodruff High School, he would be kind of what we saw, active, uh, physical, that type of guy. <clears throat> so, like what I saw out of him, David Spalding, to me, I was kind of expecting him to not look quite ready because he's such a young player, but he looked pretty good. And uh, at times, O'Donnell Fortune looked really good and uh, Dominic Hill as well, and so Cam Smith. So, you know, that spot, you know, corner, uh, I think is coming along. Uh, you know, obviously there's some concern about the safety. Uh, I know some of you were – all highly upset with the pass interference on RJ Roderick early and kind of grumbling about that. But, uh, and then he got hurt and didn't play. Uh, but he's had a better spring and we'll just have to see what goes on there. I didn't think Jalen fall. I thought Jalen Foster looked better. How about that? Now, what does that mean when they go into an SEC game? I don't know. Does that mean that there's an answer that I know? I don't, I wouldn't say that right now. Um, Dakari and Joyner, Obviously, looks more comfortable at receiver. Uh, had a good player comparison for him. <clears throat> I think he look, looks kind of like Dion LaCorn did uh, when Dion LaCorn was a freshman, and, and Dion caught 27 for 315 and three touchdowns that year. Uh, then caught 14 more the next year. That was 07 and then 08. Then Dion got hurt, was never the same, uh, ended up leaving the program. But you know, if there's a player reminder, you know, he kind of looked like Deion LaCorn did back then, the good Deion LaCorn. Uh, so that's a positive thing as well. Uh, but, you know, with, with all the players hurt, uh, you know, and look, I, I thought, you know, scheme-wise, 
Uh, I learned more about what Marcus Satterfield wants to do than maybe Clayton White. Clayton, you know, that side of the ball was just base the whole time. No stunts, uh, no exotic pressures. Uh, and we know from looking at what he did at Western Kentucky, there's going to be a lot of mixed up fronts and coverages that they just they didn't get into. Um, I thought offensively you looked at it, and uh, I liked the. I thought it was kind of a smooth operation, to be honest with you. I thought the, the players, for the most part, uh, looked like they knew where they were, what they were doing, and where they were going. Um, I thought the formations were creative. Uh, you know, the, the, obviously they didn't empty the playbook, but there were some very creative play calls. Uh, I thought. I mean. You know, the 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 eye down there at the goal line where they handed it to Bell, I thought was a, a sneaky good little play call there that can catch people off guard sometimes. Uh, and, you know, I, I just thought, <clears throat> you know, the design of the offense, you know, it, it actually surprised me because I thought with a new system you'd see a lot of sloppiness and things like that. And the guys didn't. They went out there. They knew where to line up. Um, and it was a smooth operation. Uh, and didn't have a problem with the calls. I thought, you know, down and distance wise, when they what was called was 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 good. So, um, you know, so that's the deal there. That's uh, that's uh, what's, um, you know, that that that's that's what I think. <laughs> Long and short of it, <clears throat> um, there's a couple other sports notes. Gamecocks defeated Citadel nine five in baseball last night. Another huge series. I mean, you're going to hear this. Uh, for the rest of the season uh, at Ole Miss this weekend. Uh, disappointing, the Gamecocks lost two of three to Arkansas. Uh, I thought they bounced back well the first game of the doubleheader, and then the other two games are kind of similar. Arkansas is really good, folks, but, you know, still, you got them at home. Uh, you probably want to, to try to win two of three. Now you got to go on the road. Ole Miss has a really good offensive team, so the Gamecocks pitching staff is going to have to be good. Um, really good. So, uh, we'll see what happens there. Not much to report on the basketball end of things. Uh, talked about Kim Mulkey going from, you know, Baylor to, to the LSU. Uh, and, um, oh, one more baseball note. NCAA says no more than half capacity for baseball regionals this year. Somewhat disappointing, but I understand, you know, that this, the vaccination thing is going at such a rapid pace now. We're probably a couple of months out from there being full capacity everywhere, um, but it's still a couple of months out. And you know, I understand abundance of caution and all that to me. You know, I mean, it, they don't start till June, but I think we're probably looking more at July and, you know, a full capacity for football rather than baseball. But, um, yeah, so you got uh, – you got that for baseball. And I mentioned the Kim Mulkey thing, and I don't know. I'm not a big women's basketball thing. I've never been a huge fan of her or, or Baylor or anything. But, you know, I, I, I do have, you know, just because I'm kind of a a, a person that, that understands all this, they, um, they, uh, there's a good, um, a good feeling whenever anybody goes home and takes a job. I think a lot of times in college athletics, we look around and we see guys that, you know, should take jobs and they don't ever do it. Uh, they should go home, but they're too comfortable and they don't ever do it. Uh, so it's good to see somebody that does, you know, Roy Williams, I thought it was a positive thing that he finally said, all right, I'm leaving Kansas and going to North Carolina. And 
you saw what happened there. And although Mulkey's not an LSU grad, she's from Louisiana and we all understand, you know, things like that. So I don't know. We'll see what happens. Um, is that going to challenge Dawn Staley? I think in time it could. Uh, I think when you have a roster like Dawn does and you, you, you continue to stack up McDonald's all Americans, you, you kind of wonder, you know, uh, is anybody going to be able to really catch you, catch you? Uh, and, and so we'll see sort of what happens there. Draft coming up this week. Certainly still expect J.C. Horn to be uh, in the first round uh, somewhere. Will he be the first corner taken? I don't know. Uh, I thought Chris Sims had a terrible take on him, questioning his speed. Uh, I don't know about terrible. I mean, you know, the P.I. thing I think is definitely – the pass interference thing is definitely something to think about, but, um, you know, if you didn't read it, he said he's a PI machine needs to be in a certain system, not f- said he wasn't fast enough, no matter what he ran overrated, whatever. I don't know. I just don't know of too many coaches that think that and, and scouts, to be honest. I mean, when they watch him on film, he, he, he sort of shut down his side of the field a lot. Uh, they talked about how he couldn't be left on an island. Well, he was left on an island most of his career, and people were hesitant to challenge him. Uh, and teams that did, Auburn, they found out quick that shouldn't do it. So, I, you know, I don't know about all that. I, I expect, uh, you know, is he going to go over Patrick Sertain from Alabama? That's my only question. I don't know. Uh, but Horn's going to be a pretty high pick. And then you're going to see guys like Shai Smith and – Ernest Jones and Sedarius Hutcherson, hopefully, uh, go off uh, the board in the draft. And the game packs are going to have another good draft. Uh, and that's a big positive thing. And, and another South Carolina kid in Shaw Smith will be drafted. And I did some draft numbers and breakdowns heading into this draft since 2000, kind of comparing the in state schools. 67 total from the state of South Carolina that have gone to the two uh, Power Five programs, Clemson and South Carolina. South Carolina's put 36 in the draft, Clemson 31. Uh, I think, you know, and you look at Clemson's big, big drafts, they've been recently since they started their run and heavy on out-of-state players. Uh, but the Gamecocks have, have put more uh, from in-state into the league uh, with the draft. And, um, and it was interesting because I think roughly half of those were rated below four stars. I may have said this before on the air, but that just kind of tells me that, you know, there's a lot of good evaluations you can make in the state of South Carolina and that the kids in the state for a while now are probably underrated. And, and I've talked to some other college coaches that feel that way, you know, that talk about South Carolina kids and how, you know, you can get, get steals out of the state. Um, even guys that Clemson and South Carolina pass on, uh, they, it, it's a state with a high hit rate. So there's that little recruiting there. Um, all right, so we're going to get into a lot more later this week with kind of the standard stuff, but got to get to the mailbag because that's, that's uh, you know, I don't like it to back up, folks. I, I like to hear from you uh, and have you guys got it because it's kind of like one of those things where, uh, you know, I want to talk about what you guys want to talk about and no no better way to do it than the mailbag. So, I've got uh, a lot of questions coming in. All right, so Mitchell, first guy. Uh, I've got a question for you. 
I was listening to JB and Goldwater yesterday and found out that PC fired their coach, Tommy Spangler, which shocked me since I have family and friends that attended the school. Anyway, I know for the past couple of seasons, we saw how Coastal played really well. Wofford has the triple option. And other smaller in-state schools continue to have some type of success. I know how we all talk about how Clemson plays somewhat of a role in Gamecocks being good in football. But I was curious, what's your take on smaller in-state schools, such as Coastal, Wofford, Furman, PC, and others playing a role in South Carolina, achieving success on the field and recruiting, similar how, to how we talk about Clemson? The reason why I ask is because I know there have been some good players in the state that have gone to smaller schools and achieved great success, like Darius Leonard or the Colts. Fun fact, found out while doing my research, Bobby Bentley was the coach of PC when he was leading the program from Division Two to Division One. Yeah, PC sort of, uh, I guess they quit giving scholarships and it's become sort of a brutal job. That's why Bobby Bentley didn't stay. That was Bobby's alma mater. And, um, you know, it's, it, it, it's tough to make a transition like that. And I think he did it the best he could um, when you don't have the resources. Now, I think Coastal has a lot of resources and their success has continued to, to facilitate their rise. We'll see if it's sustainable. Um, you know, Wofford, uh, I think Mike Ayers built that thing over 20 years and obviously running the option and doing the things they do. Uh, they're sort of an overachiever. Uh, Citadel. Uh, sort of is what it is. You know, you'll have Citadel jump up and bite somebody every now and then. Uh, and then, then the, the, the one that, the one that kind of gets Furman, you know, used to be a national power. They've kind of slipped back to the pack now. Um, but, but, but I'll, I'll say this as it relates to South Carolina. Uh, I think that just like I mentioned before we started the mailbag, there are players in the state that go under the radar that go on to great success. Um, you know, that goes, you know, South Carolina State and Charleston Southern, you can throw them in there as well. Um, I think what the Gamecocks did in recruiting this past class with the walk-ons they took, they got some guys that are going to be joining the program that in normal years, you may see them at Furman or Wofford or Charleston Southern, uh, maybe not Coastal, but, you know, because they're Coastal's uh, FBS now, but, uh, you know, those guys didn't have a chance to evaluate at all this year. There was no shrine bowl. Uh, that's where a lot of these teams go because uh, they let the smaller schools go and, you know, they kind of evaluate some guys from the state, see good on good and take them. Uh, and I think that's smart. You know, I think that you can get quality players and take a chance. And, you know, I, I don't think it's great for the FCS programs. If, if, you know, their number one players are walking on at Carolina, but I think that's kind of the idea uh, as far as, you know, leaving no stone unturned. I, you know, as PC, I don't, I, do I agree with the firing? No, I don't. I think that's kind of a, a mission impossible gig right now. So uh, we'll see sort of what happens, but yeah, it, it's, it's, it's interesting. And, and, you know, you look at like the state of Alabama, which has more, uh, they have FCS schools like Jacksonville State that are really good, but they have a lot of FBS programs like Troy and UAB that are successful as well. Uh, even South Alabama has a chance, you know, they, they down in Mobile. Um, and their population is roughly the size of South Carolina. So 
Uh, I think sometimes, you know, when you look at the FBS numbers for Alabama compared to Palmetto State, they're overwhelmingly better, but that's because they have more FBS programs. Um, And then, you know, so let's say more programs within the state, I don't know who would be a candidate to do it, to be frank, but, uh, you know, say Wofford and Furman went FBS. I don't think they are. They're private schools and kind of probably happy in the SOCON, but uh, you'd have more FBS, FBS players. So, that's an interesting question, and thank you, Mitchell. Um, Mitch, Mitch, not Mitchell. JC, I hope you're finishing your week strong. I have a few questions for you. What kind of movement can we expect to see in the transfer portal as the spring game passes and we look towards fall camp? I listed all the players that have a remote shot of playing time at wide receiver, totaling 14 guys. you see any guys transferring out or down? Uh, I don't see playing time for all these guys. Plus, we may need more may may need more DBs from the portal. Well, right now, I'll explain this with the portal. It's not a situation where you know you lose one guy that's been here for a while and you can replace him automatically with another guy from the portal. You have what's called initial counters. Um, and so, in other words, you mentioned Sam Reynolds here. Let's say Sam Reynolds got to Carolina, and, and you know decided it wasn't for him and he, he's there now, but uh, let's say he moved out. Then you can bring in another guy from the portal to play, to, to go right away, you know, enroll in June, May, whatever. Uh, otherwise the, the portal guys are going to have to wait till August and Carolina's under in terms of n- total numbers, like 85. Um, so they've got room with the 85 and that's what you got to look for when you're talking about August and roll ease. But uh to bring him in over the summer, you're going to have to have um, some uninitial counter leave. Uh, and and that those would be of the guys you mentioned, Reynolds, Amarian Brown, EJ Jenkins, who's not going anywhere, um, those three guys uh, that you listed. Or, or like at Omega Blake that uh, maybe if he didn't enroll, but that's not happening either. Um, of these guys you mentioned, you know, I – I wish a more. I wish I could have seen him more. I understand. I understand. First of all, I understand why they held people out. Um, uh, you, you don't want a guy that has a minor injury or a nick or a bruise uh, to go out there hurt or, 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 or injured and, and to make it more severe, especially with sprains and things like that, based on a scrimmage. Um, no offense to the fans, but. Uh, you know, I think all of you would much rather than play against Eastern Illinois and East Carolina and Georgia uh, than play in the spring game. Um, but I do wish I had seen Amari and Brown because of the speed he brings to the table. Uh, you know, of these guys, I, you know, and I don't know. I mean, th- this is a big number in terms of total. And, you know, could somebody leave? Yes. Now, what I've been told is there's not a big expectation for a lot of guys – to, to move, move on from the program. I, you know, I, I don't know that it's unavoidable to have a hundred percent of everybody back. Um, but I, I do think that, you know, some of these guys you mentioned, I mean, Ranrikis Davis, I mean, you know, is, you know, is he going to go play somewhere? I mean, you know, what's Ortray Smith thinking, you know, and I don't want to speculate on specific guys, but uh, Chad Terrell would be a guy. Um, but we'll see sort of uh, sort of what happens, I think, here. And offensive line are the places the numbers are in really good shape. Uh, but, you know, like I said, they're, they're not expecting – there's not an expectation 
like there was in basketball where there's going to be a lot of attrition between now and the start of the season. It's a good group. It's a good group of guys. I, I, they need to stay healthy, uh, but it's a good group of guys. And, and, I, and I know that because of all the injuries South Carolina's suffered uh, in, during the previous era, that if you're a fan, you're out there and you're going, man, 25% of the roster's out, you know, for the spring game. I mean, you kind of get a here-we-go-again deal. But I think the hope is, you know, and, and from what I've been told, that it's not a serious deal. It's just, you know, they don't want anybody that they can – that's going to be doing the plan when the season gets here to, to re-aggravate things or to not be able to play uh, by condition getting worse. Uh, and so we'll kind of, we'll kind of monitor and, and see what happens, but thanks so much. And, and you're right about the DBs from the portal and, uh, or, or otherwise, I mean, Damani, uh, not Damani Staley, uh, Donnell Stanley's brother, Deontay Stanley is a, he's not in the portal. He's a Juco kid, uh, that's qualified now. And so that's a junior, that's a Juco DB with, a familiar name that's from the state of South Carolina that has good film that's now on the radar. Uh, and there'll be others too. I, I don't think they're just going to, you know, stand pat at, at DB and or, or anywhere really that could help them. If there's a receiver out there that could help them, I expect that to happen too. Thanks Mitch for your question. going to switch over here and go to the, uh, to the email. Ah, new new offers going out today for 2023. Got some guys, you know, going out. Texas defensive back. I don't know about 2023 guys that offers you. I know you have to offer them now, but it's hard to get a beat on them, you know. All right, so Bullheaded says, is it crazy to say Zaquandre has the most talent out of all the backs? People forget he was a big recruit back at FSU and was just buried behind Cam Akers. Looks like a pro. Plus, this fall, Jaheim Bell needs five or ten touches a game. Looks explosive and super versatile. All right, your second one? Yes. I, I, I you know, and I love Kevion Mullins too, but Jaheim Bell has just this different kind of deal. And I see now why Florida really wanted him and Oklahoma really wanted him and Florida State was trying to get him. I mean – this is a guy that's – he's kind of a Swiss Army knife. And, and you saw Saturday, you know, with only white at running back, Bell got some – five carries for 39. He caught some passes. He's big. He's fast. Uh, I think, um, you know, Jaheim Bell is going to be a big part of the offense. Uh, and, and I think that with he and E.J. Jenkins both, even if they're listed at tight end – you're going to see them play a lot of receiver uh, type of deal, do, do you know, split out that kind of thing, just because they're probably two of the best one. I mean, they're probably the, they may be the two best ones, Jenkins and, and Bell, in terms of you know, not only are they two of the best tight ends, they're the two of the best wide receivers on, on the team as well. And I think Jaheim Bell probably could be you know a good you know, uh, there's a lot of talent at running back, and I'm going to get to that in a second. But I also think, you know, like Shane Beamer said the other day, Bell could go play linebacker and, and probably be really good there. Um, so he's a daggum football player. And just in the little bit, you know, he touched – I mean, he made a difference. And that's what you want is difference makers. Uh, and you almost, you almost wish he'd have been healthy last year. 
but he wasn't because the ACL and played sparingly. But you know, I think I think he's going to be a big part of the offense, maybe bigger than we think. Uh, as far as the Quandre goes, I don't know that he's got the most talent out of all the backs because I think Kevin Harris is good. And I, you know, you hadn't seen Marshawn Lloyd yet, man. I mean, that guy's really good too. So. We'll see. What what I think this does, though, is is it puts him in the mix to get more carries. He's also a big-time special teams player. I mean, he could end up being the kick returner, kickoff returner. He and Joyner, and I think that would be good. Um, and, and you also you also have to think too if you if you are deficient at receiver and, and he can catch, you know, maybe you use him a little like you did J- Jaheim Bell. I think you know the beauty of the scheme from what I can see is they're not afraid to say, all right, well, you're going to line up here one play and, and here another and, and, and do that, play that game. Um, and uh, I was thinking about, oh, A.J. Turner the other day and how, you know, maybe they should have considered that or Jam Williams uh, on the old staff, uh, from the old staff. Maybe they could have used those guys a little more to get a little more speed on the field at different spots, not just at running back and, you know, obviously, Jam is sort of playing a, a running back type spot uh, at Georgia State now, but was a DB at Carolina. So uh, maybe that's the case. You know, I think that Lou Holtz used to talk about it. Uh, you know, about Ryan Brewer, and and you know they split him out, moved him back to running back, and he said, you know, and Antoine Neesmith too. They were both running backs their first year that 0 and 11 season, he's like, well, we can't probably aren't going to win a whole lot, you know, with, with, you know, Brewer and Naismith at running back, but we can win with them on the field. Uh, and, and, and that's not quite true with Zaquandre because I think they can win with him at running back. I mean, don't get me wrong, but uh, I think getting him on the field would be outstanding. So you know, we'll see what happens there. But good stuff, bullheaded. Uh, Randy, Randy Watson, he, he he tweets in, a lot of tweets. With all the injuries preventing guys from playing yesterday, our depth issues are very apparent. How many of the guys sitting out yesterday will have injuries that linger into the fall? Um, I, I don't – I can't answer that because – my understanding is most of them are pretty minor except the guys that are kind of recovering for surgery. Um, everybody says they're going to be good to go in the fall. This staff is a little, a little bit more transparent about injuries than the last one was when, you know, you just guys went away and you didn't know. I mean, like Xavier Leggett last year, uh, I think got hurt game three, didn't come back and, Game nine, Mike Bobo and Phil's everybody he's been injured for a while. Um, you know, so I, I would imagine everybody's going to be back. Uh, I think that's that that's kind of uh, the deal. Uh, I don't know that anybody was super serious as far as the injuries go. Um, and keep in mind, we're still in a in a in a COVID protocol deal too, uh, and they're not going to announce that because that's you know, a health issue and they're not going to say this guy's out because of COVID. Um, and so there probably was some, you know, may, there may have been guys like that dealing with stuff like that uh, that didn't play. But the bottom line is, you know, you, you don't want to play guys that are going to help you. <laughs> uh, 
in the spring and, and, and have it to where they do have to sit out in the fall. So I, I don't, you know, I, I can't really answer for sure because I, injuries are unpredictable, but I, uh, I'll tell you that I, right now the plan is to have a full deck going into the fall. Now somebody will get hurt. Don't get me wrong. Um, you know, teams don't just go through it injury free, but you know, I don't think there's anything to, that that number was big, but I, I don't think there's anything to be concerned about once we get moving forward. You know, if if it is that that's an issue. So, and look, I, I don't think it's a bad thing to have some, you know, walk-ons like you know, Fabian Goodman. I thought at DB. I mean, he got out there and played a lot and ran around. And I mean, you, you never know. Maybe, maybe you need him, and that experience helps him. I, I thought he actually looked good. Sometimes that's Andre Goodman's kid, who's a walk-on. Uh, Nathan Harris Wyrick at running back. What a story, you know, just because of all the injuries there, he got a lot of carries and, you know, he, he may, who knows, he may end up being really good in times or, or being a serviceable backup. So uh, I don't think it's a bad thing for some of the guys that may Sean McGonigal, by the way, shout out to him. He played, uh, I thought he played pretty well uh, at TN. Uh, he's a tough kid, believe me, out of Myrtle beach. So, you know, it's not not a bad thing for those guys to play in spring game because it doesn't count, uh, and it gives them sort of game-ish experience in case you do have catastrophic injuries. You need guys that can go in there and compete. Thanks, Randy, for the tweet. The final tweet on the mailbag today from Joe, uh, kind of a process still uh, at the Big Spur pod. How many other people work for the Big Spur outside of the writers? Curious as to what makes it what it takes behind the scenes to make it happen. Thanks for the entertaining and informative content. Well, actually, all of our guys are content producers. What and, and, and how this works is we're part of a network, 24-7 Sports, which is owned by CBS Sports. And you, you sort of franchise with those guys. It's, it's like McDonald's, you know, I think. Uh, where McDonald's comes in, owns the building, builds the building, builds the building on the land. You operate it. You staff it. You work it and then you split the money. Um, otherwise, you know, you would have a lot more overhead with the site. Now, even when we were, we were part of the uh, conglomeration of ESPN sites, which ESPN did not handle that for us. And um, when that happened, I still did not employ like a tech guy or a guy uh, to work anything besides, right. You know, they all wrote, uh, I think the closest thing I've had to a behind the scenes person that I paid was Brandy Mills for a while. One of my friends, she, uh, she did social media for us. And so then she was on staff. Now she did some content too, but you know, her job was to work Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and all that good stuff. And, you know, so that's the closest thing to behind the scenes. So that's, it's a very outward staff thing and, and i'm proud of it man i mean we've got oh shoot we've got me laughter free we got five full-time guys myself tony whittle hale john del bianco and uh two part-timers or one part-timer and ryan Bethay, and then carrie rich is sort of our guest columnist for men's basketball and those guys are on the payroll and then we got keith allsep who also does women's basketball content and some football content. He's got a football article coming up today. 
Um, and so there's uh, that's how it kind of goes, you know, so everybody writes and contributes and all that good stuff. That's uh, that's how the business is structured, friends. So that's just kind of how it is. All right. So that's it for the. Uh, that's it for the tweets. Joseph says, I'm stoked about our tight ends, most notably Jaheim Bell. Do you think we'll use him like NC State used Jalen Samuels? Yes. Uh, I mean, Hayden Hurst got the tight end around, and Bell could definitely do that. Yeah. I, keep in mind, there's a new staff now. I mean, it's uh, – uh, but some of that end-around stuff, they ran some a little quick pass with Joyner, and, yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see some of that. Um he said, also, it will be my practice if he doesn't get a direct snap on a fake punt. He may take it to the house like Melvin did. Melvin Ingram, thanks for all you do. And he's that type of player, Joe. I mean, football player. You know, that's that's what Melvin Ingram was, football player. He can do almost anything. Uh, and Jaheim's that kind of guy. So was Jalen Samuels. But, yeah, I, I think you're going to see a lot of versatility with him. I think with E.J. Jenkins, you know, people said, well, didn't come out of spring with a, a, a wide receiver one, or I, I think, I think they did. I think it's EJ Jenkins. I, I don't, um, I mean, I know he, he's going to technically be a tight end in some formations and technically be a receiver in some formations. But uh, I think what that guy has is, is, is an ability to do it. I was, you know, you're always concerned coming from St. Francis to South Carolina, the speed of the game with you know, SEC level athletes or whatever. Uh, he, he showed no, you know, uh, he looked fast enough. How about that? Fast and athletic enough. Um, and he's just going to get better because he's a hard worker and a good kid from what I've been told. And, you know, over the summer, he's just going to get better and better and better. But uh, Joseph, I, I think you're absolutely right about Jaheim Bell. In, in fact, Bell and Jenkins may end up being the two best receivers on the team when all is said and done. And there won't be anything wrong with that because I think they're both pretty daggum good. Uh, so thanks for your email. Keith says, I've heard mentions of certain advantages that Vanderbilt has with their baseball team. Can you speak to what exactly those advantages are? Okay, good question, Keith. Uh, in baseball, you have 11.7 scholarships per the NCAA. And then you got uh, – so you don't have money. I mean, you got to be, be careful with your money. In other words – one guy may get half tuition. One guy may get books. One guy may get this. You know, they use Pell Grants and 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 lottery scholarships for academics and, and all that at schools like South Carolina and everywhere else to kind of make it happen. Vanderbilt kind of has a different situation because they have sort of a – some people call it a slush fund. I don't, that's probably not the correct term, but a, a scholarship fund – to fund academic scholarships for baseball players. Um, and, and so, and then you're talking about with money, you know, you're, you're talking about how expensive it is to go to Vanderbilt. And so, so that's a good deal money wise, if, if you're a kid, you know, and so that's what they do. Is it fair? I don't know. It's a way around the rules. I, I don't think Vanderbilt had much of a chance of building a powerhouse baseball program otherwise. Um, but, uh, it's, it's a way to, to, to take care of your players. And, 
you know, I've always said this. I think whatever's legally within the rules, if you can take care of your players, you need to take care of them in, in all sports across the board when you're in the SEC. That's number one. Uh, but, but number two, especially in baseball, where I, I think it's just, you know, fundamentally unfair how they they treat that sport. I mean, I, I just – I think it's 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 awful, you know. And, and I thought maybe – you know, with Michigan playing for the national championship a few years back, maybe, you know, the, the big 10 and the, some of the colder weather programs would start maybe coming around because baseball is a popular, the sport itself is very popular around the country. It's America's pastime for God's sake. But uh, uh, it, it is more the, the, the passion for it uh, more comes in the Southern kind of the Sun Belt and out West, you know, you go from, Oregon State, go way, go down the West Coast through Los Angeles, cut over to the Arizona schools, which are always good, skip over New Mexico, Texas across the south up to North Carolina. And uh, that, that, that's your college baseball. It's kind of the, makes a big U or a, or a big L maybe if you start all the way up in Corvallis, Oregon. But you have to have weather, you know, to play baseball and – uh, it's tough being a cold weather school, and I think a lot of the cold weather schools have a lot of say in the NCAA. So they just kind of, you know, eh, they don't care about this. I mean, you know, it it was very unfair a few years back when, you know, the graduation thing that they used to, to dock scholarships on and all that. You know, they they didn't make any exceptions for guys going pro in baseball, which is, which is what a lot of them do after their junior year. They're like, Hey, you still got to graduate and all this other crap. And, you know, the, the scholarship thing's a joke. Uh, I think the, the way they do the NCAA tournament sometimes is a joke, you know, the, the year if after nine 11, they said, well, we're going to, we're just going to seed teams closer to home and, and because of travel and, and then, you know, travel, I mean, years passed, and, and they continue to do that. And so you end up with, you know, some of the better teams in the country having to beat each other up to get to Omaha, and they've never changed it. And, and it's it's erratic how they do it, and I don't know. But, yeah, that's how Vanderbilt has a loaded roster just about every year. And, you know, other schools want to do it. I'm sure they can, but it's, you know, being a private school, it's a lot easier I think for them to kind of finagle that than, than otherwise. And like I said, they would, they would not be as good as they are if it weren't for that. I mean, I can tell you that right now. I know Tim Corbin's a great coach and all that good stuff, but you know, they have players, <laughs> they have players. And look, it, honest to God, you know, you start talking about being a baseball player and, you know, getting a half scholarship here, you know, to go to, to South Carolina or Florida or wherever, but then you get full money to go to Vandy, and that's a education wise, that's a big bunch of money you're saving. So uh, that's my take on that. All right, rolling on here. Uh, by the way, don't forget today is Wednesday. JB and Goldwater for me from twelve thirty to one thirty Eastern time. Going on with the guys. It streams on Twitter, YouTube. If you miss it, you can go. Uh, get it on podcast format. You can download their app, uh, which is always cool. They have a little upgrade for a modest fee. You get some extra content. That's always good. Um, so go to JB and Goldwater and check it out. JB and Goldwater.com is where you can find all the links. 
Noah emails in. He said, I couldn't catch yesterday's spring game, but who would your offensive and defensive MVPs be? Offensive MVP, I think, has to be Zaquandre White. If it wasn't White, I'd go with Bell. And I also thought, and I didn't mention this earlier, offensive line, to me, looked really, really good, you know. First drive of the, the team period, they just line up and run. And that's, that's a good defensive line they're playing against. Uh, just line up and and they just drove it right down. I mean, it wasn't all white. White was running hard and well, breaking some tackles. But, you know, there were holes. Um, so white would have to be it because, it, you know, there were – I mean, he, he had some holes at the same time. White broke tackles. He made cuts. I mean, it looked like a different player than what we saw last year where I sort of he, – he, he, he's, you know, he, he struggled. Um, he, he ran more under control and patiently. And, he just, and, look, he just got so many carries too and scored so many touchdowns. You just kind of – well, he had to be the MVP of the game. Uh, if it wasn't him, I think it would be Jaheim Bell and then E.J. Jenkins uh, on offense. Uh, defensively, I'd go with obviously JJ and Igbare just because he had some really nice pressures uh, where he just whipped the guy in front of him. Um, you know, beyond him, you know, maybe you say Marcellus Dial, all Donald Fortune led the team in tackles. But but I think Enigbare, if you're just looking at you know, who was the best guy on the field on the defense, it was it was JJ. Um, so that's it. But look, that. There's been plenty of MVPs of spring games that don't do much uh, when the real games get there. <laughs> and then there's been plenty of guys that uh, have not had good spring games that have been, you know, you're sitting there in game four going, man, remember the spring game when he did nothing? Yeah, you know, so that's kind of uh, that's kind of the deal there. It's a scrimmage, folks. Uh, Mark says, Braden, Braden, David, Braden Davis, Gunner Stott in question. Now, for those of you – that don't know Braden Davis is the four-star quarterback from Delaware who is going to be announcing this week. Um, a lot of people feel good about the Gamecocks chances, but aren't, you know, I mean, I think that after losing some guys, it, it's kind of, you know, you're kind of like, well, I don't know. Um, but uh, he's the next guy up at quarterback. So we'll see if the Gamecocks get him. He said, is it possible if long-term Braden Davis could be better fit in this scheme under Satterfield? But that Stockton is the better overall prospect. A six foot five quarterback with room to grow and a lively arm seems a good fit for this modified Joe Brady system. He reminds me a little of Josh Allen from the Bills. Remember, Allen played at Wyoming, although he's a lot leaner. He's growing his body more. I, I don't know. You know, I, I think upside wise, if you're just talking about ceiling, Davis probably has a higher ceiling than Stockton. But will he ever be better than Stockton? I don't know. You know, and, and I think Stockton is a good fit for this scheme. Um, and so I don't, I don't know about better fit. I think Braden Davis could be a fit for the scheme as well. Uh, but but Stockton, I mean, you know, with his arm ability and his ability to run, you know, I, I thought he was uh, a pretty good fit as well. But you're absolutely right about – the upside, you know, he, he's six five. I mean, and, you know, Braden Davis could be six five, two thirty, with a rocket arm and an ability to take off and run. You know, because he runs four six, and that's good for a quarterback of that size. Um, and so I, I think he could be a ski fan. The thing with him is, 
it's it's probably going to take a couple of years, which is good. I mean, because if Luke Doty is the starter this year and plays really well, or even even if Jason Brown ends up beating him out, which you know you, you can't rule out anything. Uh, I don't think that's likely, despite the you know complete overreaction. And uh, and I, I'm not going to say too much about this, but I was sort of very disappointed with some of the overreaction <laughs> about. Luke Doty and Jason Brown um, on message boards, social media, across the board. I mean, that's just – it it continues to be this toxic thing with quarterbacks. There's continues to be this, you know, emphasis on, you know, deep passes, which I don't understand. You know, if you're you're not good unless you're throwing it deep, I mean, that's ridiculous. Um, Because I think – I honest to God think the intermediate routes these days are, are probably more important to hit than the – I mean, the long ones are always nice, but those are low percentage passes no, no matter who's throwing them. Um, so, you know, I, I, and I'm not going to say too much about it. I just – I was disappointed. Uh, quite frankly, I had to kind of hold hold off and even say anything about the spring game just because I was so disgusted. I just didn't want to get into it. Um, but, yeah, I, I think that uh, – you know, even if even if Luke Doty, let's say let's say Brown, then let's say Brown has a great summer, ends up being the guy for a year. You know, you still have Doty for for a couple of more years. You know, a few more years, and then Colton Gothier, who obviously has some arm talent. Um, so, so you've got time for a Braden Davis uh, to develop, uh, and, and I think that's that's the deal. Is he's he's a developmental guy. I think one of the reasons he's ranked so high is because of that upside. Not a complete product right now, uh, but a guy that in two years, you know, look out. You know, he could be really, really good. So that's uh, that's the deal there. But yeah, you're, you're you're not totally off, Mark. I just I, I I do think Stockton is a is a good fit for the scheme. So that's kind of where we differ. Um, but you know, the ceiling with Davis could. He, he conceivably could be, you know, better in time because I think Stockton's closer to his ceiling right now, more of a finished product, if you will. And thank you for the question. And that's it. Those are the those are the mailbag questions today. Um, so I'm going to jump off. Uh, don't forget JB and Goldwater. We also recorded a JC and Morgan college football podcast yesterday. Mike had some really good things to say about Luke Doty in the Carolina spring game. We talked about playoff expansion. I know that's a good topic. Uh, You can get that on Apple Pods or wherever. Please continue to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Pods and go ahead and rate us five stars and write a review. We appreciate that. Also, remember, follow on Twitter at the Big Spur Pod, Instagram at Inside the Gamecocks, and we appreciate you listening. I'll be back later this week with more. J.C. Sherbert signing off Inside the Gamecocks podcast.